Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. In the middle of the summertime, you chose to put God in charge of your week. You could have slept in. You could be on the back porch with a nice cup of coffee on this gorgeous day. I'm jealous, by the way. You guys had a bunch of rain come through. My garden is on the verge of strangling because we've had some rain go north of us and south of us and my garden is going, where's our water? So I'm glad you guys had some of that and it was great. Uh, and it makes a cool summer, so that's awesome as well. I bring you greetings from O little town of Bethlehem. Yes, that's where I've spent over 30 years, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, on this side of the pond. Uh, anybody ever go to the original Bethlehem over in Israel? One, two, three, cool. Yeah, that's an amazing experience. God gave me that privilege some time ago. But uh, anyhow, it's good to be here from Bethlehem, coming down to watch uh, your church grow and reach this growing community. Wow, Brunswick's really taking off, isn't it? Some of you are going, yeah, I didn't want that many neighbors. <laughs> but what a ministry field you have, an opportunity to reach out uh, for the Lord. Thank you for granting Pastor Scott a break. I know he is a hard worker and he pours himself probably sometimes too much into his passion for ministry and serving the Lord and loving on you. So uh, grant him this break and know that he will be back soon enough and you'll be back to the normal routine, but it's exciting to see the team that's carrying things on, and your ministries are going forward this summer, and that's exciting to see. So he asked me to continue in a series that you all are discussing about lessons that Jesus sort of taught along the way about the kingdom of God. So we're in Mark chapter four, if you're interested in turning there, because we will get to there at some point soon. I was thinking of starting the message and titling it uh, Asleep at the Wheel. Um, but then I thought, well, maybe that wouldn't communicate the best idea. Uh, asleep on the job, maybe. No, that wasn't quite the same idea. So I came up with the title Just in the Nick of Time. Have you ever been in trouble? Have you ever had a deadline? Have you ever felt there was no options, there was no way out from a situation? But just in the nick of time, things worked out. Now, there might even be one or two of you sitting here today saying, sure, I know what you're going to preach about. I know about all that kind of stuff. But in my life, God didn't come through in the nick of time. Maybe you're dealing with the reality of divorce or 
or of having of had a, an abortion or lost a job or lost somebody really, really important in your life. And it's like, God didn't rescue me. God didn't bail me out. God didn't come through in the nick of time. Well, we're going to be taking a look at that as well today. But I love this story and I love this reality that, yeah, in a sense, Jesus was asleep on the job. And I've often wondered, was he asleep on the job on purpose? Um, anyhow, join me in Mark chapter 4 as we take a look at it. The story is also written in Matthew 8 and in Luke 8 uh, with different details in each one, and we'll cover what we need to. But in verse 35 of Mark 4, the story begins. On that day when the evening had come, and let's set this up. It was a big day of ministry. Jesus was out teaching. He was out healing people. He was out doing miracles. He was exhausted. It was a, an effective, a productive, good day. And the crowd was still coming after him. And so he says to the disciples, hey, and, and he did this more than once. This was his escape. Get in the boats. We're going to go to the other side of the lake. And if you've ever been to Israel and the Sea of Galilee, uh, it is a, a gorgeous, huge lake uh, that is bigger than most lakes you see around here. So they were able to do a pretty decent escape by hopping in the boat. And did he know that there was a practical side of choosing fishermen for being his disciples? Because he was going to be hanging around the Sea of Galilee and having access to boats and whatever was going to be a helpful idea. I don't know. But there they were. They got in the boat. And it says, uh, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And I, I thought about that interesting little phrase, other boats were with him. Well, if he had 12 disciples, the size of fishing boats, you know, wasn't a, a cruise liner where you can have hundreds of people on the boats. Um, so yeah, if he had 12 disciples, he might have needed to have two boats. And if some of the women that were constantly with them, helping them do ministry and things were along as well, yeah, they might have had 20 people. And uh, maybe they needed three boats to get across. I don't know. But there they were. Jesus was in one boat, and there was at least one other boat. And so after this exhausting day, he lays down in the front of the boat. I just imagine that maybe there was a little bit of a cover in the front of the boat. Maybe it's a place where fishermen would keep some of their bait so that the sun wouldn't hit it so heavy and uh, it could stay, whatever. But, or on rainy, rainy times, they could tuck in underneath. But that's where Jesus was laying down. And somebody had brought along some kind of blanket or something and he was laying on the blanket and he was asleep in the boat. 
and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was filling up with water. Now, I've been privileged to be in Israel several times. I know the weather over there. This, was a, this wasn't a common thing. This didn't happen on a regular basis. But I have heard that sometimes there are storms that can kick up on the Sea of Galilee that are quite ferocious and can easily uh, topside a, a fishing boat. And so there they were. And even though they were experienced fishermen and they probably been through a few storms like that before, they were scared. In fact, it says in verse 38, he was in the stern, the front of the boat, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and they said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I've thought about that part of the story and I've said to myself, could he have really stayed asleep? I mean, if water was filling the boat and, you know, it would have certainly been rocking back and forth from the waves and the wind. How could, well, if he truly was asleep, it tells us how exhausted he was from his day of ministry. And probably the disciples were a little bit exhausted too. And I find that a lot of times in my life, the storms come when I am most exhausted. When something that has been very challenging, very difficult has come upon me and, and the pressure hits when I feel like I don't have time to deal with this. I don't know if you've had that experience. I'm sure you have. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? What are we going to do? You tell us to go across the lake, and here we are in the middle of the lake, and we're all going to drown. So, he woke up, and it says, he stood up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. In fact, I think that he said, Peace! Be still! Just so that all the disciples and maybe the ones in the other boats heard him as well. And the wind ceased. And there was this awesome calm that came over the lake and he turns to them and says <laughs> why were you guys afraid have you no faith that's what I'd like to focus a little bit of our time on today probably everyone here in this room says, I have faith in God. I am a true follower of Jesus. I trust Him for my life. Are any of you worried about your retirement account right now? 
a lot of you are way too young to worry about that, but I'm at a place where I'm about ready to tap into mine and all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of money missing in my retirement account. The federal government has taken it away from me or the investors or whatever the right term is. Can I actually retire? Can I live on what's left? Is it going to run out? What's going to happen? Some of you might have had that experience in relation to a job. You had a good job, you thought things were going good, and then all of a sudden, boom. Sorry, we're downsizing. And from what I understand, if our economy continues the way it's heading this summer, by fall, there might be some of us who get that surprise slip of paper saying, sorry, we can't keep you. What are you going to do? Are you worried about things? Are you stressed about matters of life? As Christians, we represent Jesus to the world. In fact, uh, what's her name? Uh, what's her name again? Sarah. Sarah, yeah. Sarah stood up here earlier and said to us today, uh, Grace Fellowship Church, we represent Jesus to the Brunswick community, and we want them to see what's different about us because we follow Christ. So none of you are caught up in any kind of gossip schemes, right? None of you sit and wring your hands and talk about how difficult life is and what's, what you're scared of. Because if we say we're followers of Jesus, but we have all of those negatives in our life, we're kind of pretty much in the same shape as the disciples. They said they had faith. They said they were followers of Jesus. I mean, you know, we've given up our jobs to follow you, Jesus. But they were scared. And they had no confidence of what was going to happen next. I've had that in my life. When I was a young 27-year-old fella, I had my first child. My daughter was one year old. And I lost my dad to cancer. And I remember not exactly shaking my fist, but looking up to God and saying, why did you take him now? I just became a dad. If I ever needed my father's advice, it's now I just started being a dad. I want to ask my dad a thousand things that I don't even know what to ask yet. And he's gone. And I was a little upset with God as a 27-year-old. And it's as if God was saying to me, yeah, Larry, I don't want you to depend on your earthly dad for answers. 
I want you to depend on me. And I've thought of that many times and I've talked to people who've come into my office to sit down and, they, and they're wringing their hands going, our finances are so horrible, we, we're in such debt. And so we stop and we talk about um, why are you getting into debt and why are you going further into debt? You're not really willing to trust the Lord. You're really saying, God isn't giving me enough income. God doesn't have me in a job where I'm making enough to get out of this debt. When in reality, God is probably saying, <laughs> change your lifestyle. We don't like to hear that. But we want to walk in our ways and expect God to take care of us. Now I don't know exactly how this might apply in any of your particular lives, but if you're wanting to walk in your way, you want to keep spending all the money you're spending, you want to keep living the way you are living, you want to keep saying, well I can't put money, I can't give money to the church because I have to pay off my debts, then you're not living, you're not trusting Jesus, you're not living His way. You're actually living a lie. That's hard news. But hey, I'm the visiting guy. I get to leave and you have to deal with it. So I'm going to give it to you. Let Pastor Scott clean it up after he comes back. But maybe you have to change your lifestyle. Maybe you do need to simplify. Maybe you do need to cut back. I preach this I've preached this several times and I'm going to I'm going to insert it here. It's not really part of this message, but but I think it does fit right here and right now. If any of you are in a place like that and and you're saying maybe in the fall I can start giving to the Lord. But right now I've got too much to catch up on. Let me challenge you. O thou of little faith, don't try to live life your way and expect God to bail you out. You've got to turn and follow His way. There's this thing in, in Jewish culture called first fruits. Uh, I love first fruits. How many of you, do any of you have gardens, vegetable gardens that you raise things? Yeah, you guys, you guys understand this. You know, the first cucumber that comes on the vine, it grows perfect and gets large and it is oh so tasty. After the bugs start getting to it, some of the cucumbers sort of, you know, get a little weird looking and, and, then, and then you hit the dry spell and then you get a cucumber that's half grown and then the other half gets kind of wrinkly and you know. First fruits are the best fruits. Green beans. I love the first picking of green beans. They're long, they're tender, they're fresh, they're so good. The second or third picking, you know, you might get some long ones or fat ones that you missed the first time. 
or some little skinny ones or whatever and it's not quite as good as the first pickings. And in Jewish culture they were taught you give the first fruits to God. And that's the idea of I'll use the word tithing although tithing is not a New Testament principle or concept uh, in fact one, when we think of tithing we think of 10% and we think that's all, all we owe to God and if you look at the Old Testament and understand their concepts tithing really means a whole lot more than just 10% so here's what I'm going to say to you oh and I've had people ask me this uh, do I give of my gross salary or from my net salary? And I turn to them and I say, do you want God's net blessing or God's gross blessing? Big blessing. Um, that's, how we, that's how we trust God. What's the least I can do to get the most from God? Instead of just giving him your best, your first, and literally your all. Now, I live three and a half hours away, and you're going to say, I won't follow through with this, but I promise you I follow through. Uh, and Pastor Scott knows how to get in touch with me, so here's what I'm going to say. You want to get out of debt. Your very first step is to take whatever you're making right now and determine a correct portion to give to God even though you can't afford it and you give it to Him every week and I'm going to make you this deal and this is a serious honest deal even though you can't afford it even though it sounds insane you do that in faith and if after two months of doing that you're coming up short and you're not able to pay the required bills you get in touch with me tell me how much you put in the plate or in the app <laughs> and I will send you a check for that amount of money if God doesn't come through, I promise, I guarantee, on, on the name of the Karis Fellowship, on, on, on my name, I will pay you back. I am so confident that God will come through. And I've done this in several <coughs> congregations as well as my own congregation. And so far, I've not had anybody come back. I have had stories like this where one gentleman said, you know, I thought it was nuts and I decided to give it a try. And it makes no sense to me. Numbers shouldn't add up. We haven't done anything else different. But this month, there was more money in my account at the end of the month than in previous months even though I have been giving to the church, to the Lord. <laughs> I know this to be a fact and this to be true. 
and I know it so much that I will put my own bank account on the line for it and I promise you you give God that first fruits that you owe him and if you can't make it at the end of two months you call me Pastor Scott has my number and I will make sure that you get back everything that you put in but what I hope you will find what I have confidence that if you do it you will find is exactly what the disciples found and their reaction was very similar you see what it says there in verse 41 after Jesus in verse 40 said why are you so afraid do you have no faith so let me say to you why are you so afraid to give your first fruits to the Lord do you really not have faith that God can take care of you And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What is this deal that even though I have no money, I give it to the Lord and I have more at the end of the month than I had before? That makes no sense. And it's not just about money. And this, this sermon isn't meant to be about money. It's really meant to be about your faith and your trust. I have another real life story. This November will be 10 years since my wife graduated to heaven. At a young age of 57, she passed away from cancer. I prayed to God hundreds, if not thousands of times that God would heal her. She was anointed at least three times at different stages where we were saying, okay, let's give it to God. We did everything we knew to do. And in the end, God did not bring that miracle of healing to her. Well, I now look at it theologically and understand he actually did answer and gave her complete 100% healing because she's in heaven not only with not any cancer but no arthritis or any of the other problems that we all deal with in this world this day, these days. But I do remember sitting on my couch three weeks after she was gone feeling very couch potato, very hermit. I am not leaving this house. I am not going back into life. I, I'm, I'm done. I can't, I can't do it. And it's as if God tapped me on the shoulder while I was sitting there. And I, I couldn't hear him and I, and I couldn't see him, but it was more like a daydream. And as if he said to me, so Larry, do you believe all the things in the Bible that you've been preaching to everybody else for the last 25 years? Oh, you mean things like, I am the father of the orphan, I am the husband to the widow, 
Uh, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your path. I will never leave you or forsake you. I can do all things through. You know, all those verses we claim that we say and we know and we believe, right? But there I am sitting on the couch saying, I'm not leaving. I'm not going back. What do I have to preach to anybody else? I'm empty. <laughs> well, and, and, and he just stood there looking at me in silence. Well, what was I supposed to say? No, I don't believe that. And so I looked up and I said, yeah, I believe that. And it's as if he said to me, so what are you going to do about that? There's a phrase that the Lord put into my heart as a result that we had in our church bulletin for a number of years. And it's still a phrase that drives me daily. Of the 98% of my life that I had no control over and no sense, can I get up? The, the elders had given me the month off, said don't even come to church. I, I would come and sit in the back on Sundays, but don't preach, we'll take care of everything. You just mourn the loss of your wife. And after a month, we'll see. And... Uh, out of the 98% of my life, I, I, I didn't think I could stand back up in the pulpit and preach a sermon after that. So that 98% of my life, I didn't have any understanding. Jesus said, trust me. And the 2% that made sense, I knew how to preach a sermon. I knew how to study the Bible. I knew what to say, but it's like, how can I make a difference in somebody else's life when I feel so empty? So by faith, I did the right thing. And I got back in the pulpit and I did my job. Now I gotta be honest with you. For literally six to eight months, I felt nothing. I was numb. I would go to church. I would preach a sermon just like this. And I would go home. And I felt nothing. I knew I was preaching truth. I knew I was declaring God's word. But I felt nothing. Do you know what was amazing? And this is, this is to show you it wasn't about me, it was about him. People would come up to me one by one during that six months and they would say, Pastor, you're preaching with a passion and a relevance that we haven't seen before. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I feel nothing. because 
when I was in my weakest moment, he was at his strongest. And that's what he wants to do with you. When the disciples were helpless in the boat, all they could do is hang on to the sides and hope that the boat didn't turn over. And that was my place in life. And I just decided that day, that three weeks when I was sitting on the couch, to get off the couch, stop feeling sorry for myself, and trust Jesus. I had already been a pastor for over 30 years between the two different ministries I was a part of. But as a pastor that had preached the word thousands of times, I needed to be taught that truth by God and apply it to my life. And I have no idea what is going on in here. You may be having a most fantastic time and wonderful success and great relationships and all good things. Uh, and that's wonderful. Praise God and full steam ahead. But there will become a time that you will be in the storm of life. And the waves will be crashing such that you will think that you're going to drown. And it's going to feel like Jesus... Uh, in a very curt sort of way looks at you and says what? You have no faith? Where's your sensitivity? You don't see how I'm hurting. What? You don't believe I can help you? You don't think I can come through? I was going to tell you some Old Testament characters and their experiences. I'm just going to do one real quick. My, one of my absolute favorites. You remember these three young guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember the story of their life and what was going on? Uh, they decided to trust Jesus, do right. And the Pharaoh said, you're going to get tossed into the furnace of fire. <coughs> and they said, well, okay. If that's what has to happen, that's what has to happen. But we're going to do right and we're going to trust God. Did God save Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego from the fire? <laughs> no, he didn't. They got thrown into the fire. I am absolutely confident that those three men, young men, maybe, maybe in their 20s, maybe still teenagers, because they chose to do right and follow Jesus, they were sure that was their last day on earth. And they were sure that they were going to become martyrs and they were giving their lives to the cause. And they walked up the steps. I don't know what it must have felt like when, they, when the soldiers that were beside them got fried in the process of throwing them in. But there they landed in, in the fire. God did not save them from the fire. And here's the big lesson of that. So often, 
God. That's what I was praying. Save my wife. God didn't come through. He didn't save my wife. Until I realized theologically later that he did save her in the most magnificent of ways. But I didn't think he was going to take care of me. And I'm here today to tell you, after 10 years, God has been 100% faithful to all of my needs. If you'd asked me, could you be a single guy and living life? I'd have said, no way. I am so happy being single. I mean, I get to drive the whole way down here. I'm going to go over to uh, Harper's Ferry this afternoon and kind of look around and enjoy the afternoon. Benefits of serving the Lord and loving on you a little bit along the way. Uh, there are so many awesome things. I, I am amazed how God is taking care of me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown into the fire. So they were not rescued from being thrown into the fire. But you know when they came out, there was only one thing that was burnt. And that was the ropes that had them tied. Once they were in the fire, they were walking around free. I don't know what your situation of life is, but here's the glorious thing. There is nothing that you can go through that God won't be there with you. And there is nothing that you can experience that will cause you to fail if you're going to trust God. You might fail in that job in the moment. You might fail in that relationship in the moment. But if you choose to do right, and boy, that is hard, preaching God's Word when I felt completely empty was hard. But God was there. And whatever you have to do, whether it's relationship, whether it's productivity, whether it's just uh, medical, physical reality. Trust Jesus. Do right. And you will be able to say along with the disciples what I said after the six months of trusting Jesus. Who is this that the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this that uses me to touch people's lives when I am empty? Who is this that pays my bills when I do not have the finances to do so? Who is this that makes me a good person when the relationships around me are all messed up? My hope is that when you came in this morning, you were saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I trust Jesus. Yeah, I want to follow Jesus. My hope is that you leave this morning knowing that you can give him your first fruits, your best, 
all of who you are. You can do right when nobody around you expects it or while everybody around you does wrong. You can do the hard thing while everybody else is slacking off. But if you do right and you trust Jesus, based on the reality of God's word and God's principles and God's truth, you will thrive like you never imagined. Pray with me. God, I don't know anybody's circumstance here today. I could be preaching totally irrelevant realities to where they are at. I can totally miss any real issue that's going on. But what I know is you're here. And I know your spirit is taking your truth. And if we will step out in faith, even though it makes no sense, even though it goes against all of our feeling, and we will trust you and do what is right, you will come through. If there's anybody here that's doubting, worried, struggling, help them to truly give it over to you knowing that, hey, you didn't give me my wife back, but you gave me something greater, a peace, a purpose, a joy in trusting you. I know Joyce is in heaven with you and, and having the time of eternity, <laughs> kicking it up and loving every minute of it but you're also taking care of me. Do that for that person here today that doubts and fears and struggles, that they will be able to turn around and proclaim this one who stills the winds and calms the seas has changed me and caused me to thrive. Help us to trust you, Jesus, for real change in our lives, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.